This is part two and the concluding episode of Beware, the School Award of Terror. If you haven't listened to part one yet, please consider pausing this message and playing episode six of this podcast entitled Story 4, A, Start. There are a lot of important details in the first part of this story that may help you understand the context of this conundrum. Thank you for calling Mr. Eerie's disturbing detective agency. In the unlikely event that your previous message was cut off or otherwise interrupted, please continue describing your odd or unusual occurrence in detail. Now, prepare yourself, for the beep waits for no one. Mr. Erie, I don't know what happened. Your machine cut me off. Or maybe it's on my end. Maybe the connection here is bad. The wiring here looks old, but that's the least of my problems. Anyway, where did the message get cut off? I guess you can't answer me. I wish you could because I need your help, but I guess you can't help me fix all this till you know what happened. My friend, I mean, this new kid I know at school named Ezra, he and I went to an award ceremony for students with good attendance. He had three attendance raffle tickets for perfect attendance. I only had one because I missed a few days. Still, the ticket I was holding won, and the award was a weekend at Crestwood Resort. My family and I drove up right after school. I played tic-tac-toe in the car with my younger sister, Lila. We played two dozen games as our car headed for the mountains. I didn't win a single one. Lila and her imaginary friend, Queen Izzy, mopped up the floor with me, mostly because they each got to place an X. Two X's at once? Not exactly fair and tough to beat. That's okay. I'd already won a big enough prize for the day. Besides, big brothers are supposed to loose to younger sisters. At least some of the time. Once we got settled in the cabin, there wasn't much to do. There was no TV or board games. Nothing exciting in the cabin but this phone, a chalkboard that says Welcome to Crestwood on it, and some small bedrooms. After dinner, I could tell Lila was getting bored. And when she gets bored at night, my parents usually suggest we head off to bed. But I didn't want to go to bed. It was the first night of summer vacation, and I had just won something after working hard all year to have good attendance. I didn't want the day to end. I walked over to Lila, who was laying on the couch trying to take her shoes off without touching them. Hey, Lai, I said. You want to play a game? She rolled over, big smile on her face. Oh, yes, please, she said. What should we play? I thought about it for a minute. What game could we play where Lila's imaginary friend wouldn't be much help? How about charades? I said. You mean where I get to act out stuff and you guess it? Yes, I said. You act stuff out, and I'll guess the object or movie. Remember, Lila, you can't use words. And if I guess it right, I get a point. Lila flicked her shoes toward the cabin's front door, then positioned herself in front of the big outside windows. Worn canvas curtains hung on either side of the window. They sort of looked like theater curtains drawn open, and the woods outside, although dark, 
served as Lila's backdrop. Lila cleared her throat. Remember, no talking, I said. She waved off my comment and then held up her hand. Two of her fingers were extended. Okay, I said. It's two words. She nodded. Then she leaned over and swung her arms together like a pendulum. I raised my hand. I'll tell you, Mr. Erie, school habits are hard to break. I put my hand down and then said, Grandfather Clock? Lila shook her head no. She pointed to an empty spot on the couch. Yes, that's right. Good job, Queen Izzy. Croquet was the right answer. Wait, what? I said. Croquet isn't two words. Lila looked at the couch, where Queen Izzy was apparently sitting. She nodded her head a few times and then said, Royalty says it can be two words or one. Oh, come on, I said. That's it. Queen Izzy can't play anymore. Lila smiled, turned serious. Why not? She asked. Because... I stumbled for what to say next. Because... She's too good a guesser. With her hands on her hips, Lila stepped toward me. You could be a good guesser, too. You just aren't motivated. That upset me a little. Lila's callback to the criticisms levied against me by both teacher and parent stung a little. Maybe they stung a lot. No, I said. That's not it. Queen Izzy can't play because... because she's not real. Lila's face turned downward. She stomped toward me. Yes, she is real, Benjamin. I laughed. No, she's not. She's a figment of your imagination. I paused. Lila doesn't know what a figment is, I clarified. She's made up, I said, which means you don't have any real friends. Lila's face went cold. I'd stung her. I didn't mean to, but I had. She stomped toward her room and grabbed the door. If I don't have any friends, Benjamin Parker, then neither do you. With that, Lila slammed the door to her bedroom. What was that supposed to mean? I have friends. Does she think she's my only friend? I walked toward the bedroom, but caught a look from my parents that said, I better give her some space. Give her some time to cool off. It was probably a good idea. I went to my room, planning on going to sleep. But the little couch in there hadn't been pulled out into its bed formation yet, so I slumped into a sitting position on top of it. From my backpack, I grabbed a book. A picture book, also known as a graphic novel. Normally, I can finish one of those novels in an hour. But that night, I couldn't even get started. My mind was heavy with how I'd responded to Lila. An hour later, I opened my room's door. Everyone had gone to bed. Careful not to creak the floorboards, I walked over to Lila's door and knocked. Hey, I said in a loud whisper. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said that stuff about Queen Izzy. I didn't hear anything, so I continued. I just wanted to play a game with you, you know, the two of us, so I'm sorry. Before leaving her door, I added, let's play a game tomorrow, just me and you, and I'll tell you what, Queen Izzy can play the winner. Even if Lila was sleeping and didn't hear me, I felt better. I went into my room, worked up a sweat trying to get that fold-away bed to unfold, and then went to sleep. I don't think I stayed asleep long, though. Sometime well after midnight, I woke up thirsty. I went to the kitchen to get a drink of water. There were a few drink glasses on the counter turned upside down on a dish towel. At home, that meant they had just been cleaned. I was pretty sure the rules were the same for the cabin, so I grabbed one and filled it up. As I was walking back to bed, I noticed a piece of scratch paper on the counter by the cabin's front door. There was other junk on the counter, brochures for the resort, emergency phone numbers, a crestwood pen, and a nearly eaten bag of cheese puffs. 
Laid neatly on top was a note. A handwritten note on familiar scratch paper that read, I know you didn't mean what you said. I have a real friend and so do you. Then, a few lines down, What would you rather do? Play the same game every day of summer, or play a new game every day but be at school. It was signed with a little smiley face. Not bad for a fifth grader, I thought. The note was a relief. Lila wasn't mad, and that was good news. I circled the play-the-same-game option and headed off to bed, and to finally get some rest. The next morning, I went back to the kitchen looking for breakfast. My parents were sitting outside, so I grabbed a nearly empty bag of cheese puffs and put it out of its misery. I even poured the cheese dust into my mouth. You gotta love summer vacation, Mr. Erie. I noticed the note from last night was gone. Lila must have taken it. Maybe it's my turn, I thought. Maybe she's waiting for me to come up with the next question. I went by her door and knocked. Hey, I said. Would you rather sleep through the night but be in an uncomfortable bed, or be in the most comfortable bed in the world but only sleep for an hour? There was no answer. It was well past getting up time even for summer vacation, so I knocked harder. Just then, I heard the front door open. My mom came through, creeping in like a cat burglar while giving me the sign for shush. Is she still sleeping? I asked. Lila's not feeling well. Woke up kinda sick, my mom said. A warm, unsettled feeling sank into my stomach. I don't know why that news bothered me. I guess I just didn't like hearing that Lila wasn't feeling well. I'll let her rest, I said. My mom nodded her head and offered to bring me breakfast in the main room. That's okay, I said. I'm going to read in bed for a while. Besides, I just polished off a bag of cheese puffs. She smiled. How about I bring you something proper? I said yes, even though I didn't feel like eating anything. A graphic novel and a half later, I heard movement outside my door. Then the knock of my mother. It's funny how you can tell who's at the door by the sound of the knock. You can come in, I said. My mom came in holding a brochure. There's an art shack down by the resort store, she said. Change out of your PJs and head down there for me. I don't want to go to some kid's art shed, I said. They'll try and paint my face or something. My mom smirked. It's not for you, Benjamin Parker. Lila asked if you could bring her back a project. I don't normally get excited about doing things for my sister, but hearing she was well enough to do art made me feel good. You got it, I said. What should I get? My mom handed me the brochure. Lila's circled some things, she said. Then she handed me a pen. You can circle some projects for yourself if you want. Maybe I will, I said, knowing I probably wouldn't. I threw on some clothes and skipped out the front door, down the steps, and made my way toward the art shed. I looked at the brochure on the way and found a folded piece of scratch paper inside. It was another Lila question. Would you rather be stung by one big needle that hurts bad, or one hundred tiny ones that you can barely feel? Ick. What a terrible question, I thought. Still, what would my answer be? I pictured a large needle the size of a turkey baster being pushed into my skin. No way, I said. Not a chance. So I circled the one hundred tiny needles option, figuring that would at least be tolerable. At the art shack, I showed the lady working there what my sister wanted. She got some rocks to paint, a coloring book themed after the resort and some stuff to make a bracelet with. Does she want some paper to sketch on? The art lady asked. I don't know, I said. 
Well, if she does, just send her down here. We've got more sketch paper than we know what to do with. The lady tapped her hand on a huge stack of oversized paper. I could see writing on the backside, and the lady must have caught my glance. Kids' menus, she said. We ordered a thousand of them. Those are extras, I asked. The art lady smiled. Nope, misprints. These here offer Crestwood kids their choice of matloaf or chicken finers. I laughed. Don't worry, she said. The backs of menus are perfect for drawing important ideas. I'll let my sister know, I said. The art lady put the supplies, including a dozen smooth rocks, in a paper grocery bag. Too heavy? she asked. I scoffed. No way, I replied. Not at all. Truth be told, it was heavy. So heavy, in fact, that as I turned the corner away from the main resort area, both handles on the bag broke. I bent over to scoop up the supplies. Did Lila really need all these rocks? I didn't think so. I threw a bunch into the woods and kept three of the nicer ones. A minute later, as I continued my trek back to the cabin, I heard a noise, a buzzing sound. Electricity? No, I didn't think so. Electricity buzzing is more snappy. This was different, more constant, deeper. And it was coming from behind me. I turned around but didn't see anything. Then I felt it, on my neck. A searing pain, like someone was pinching a tiny fold of my skin between sharp fingernails. I dropped the bag of art supplies and grabbed my neck. The buzzing sound intensified, and I couldn't tell which direction it was coming from anymore. It was all around me. Then another flash of pain. This time on my hand. Hornets, I said. I left the bag and darted, waving my arms in the air. I saw a dirt trail off the main road. A small sign on a post said, Cabins. I ran for the trail, but the buzzing followed me. I screamed when I felt like someone or something was piercing my ear. Then a searing pain erupted from the center of my forehead. Get off me, I yelled. Hornets listen about as well as a 7th grade P.E. class, which is to say, not at all. My neck started aching, and then I felt an unusual sensation. It was like a drop of water was running down my forehead. But it wasn't water, and it wasn't blood, because those things don't have six legs and a furry midsection. My eyes crossed to focus on the hornet that was crawling towards the end of my nose. Without thinking, I swatted at it with my hand. But this guy was quick. I watched it push its stinger into the meaty part of my nose. Then a split second later, I felt the smack of my own hand hitting my face. Am I the only 8th grader whose only fist fight was with himself? Maybe. I felt stupid, but I didn't care. I was getting stung to death by an angry nest of hornets. All I could think about was escaping. I twirled around trying to disrupt the swarm. Out of the corner of my eye, I saw our cabin. It wasn't far. I sprinted for it, ignoring the buzzing, ignoring the stings. I ran in a zigzag pattern till I reached the steps. I hoped the door was unlocked, and it was. I burst through it, kicked it closed with my foot, and sped for the hallway near the bathroom. It felt like I had been stung by a thousand tiny needles. My face, neck, and hands were a minefield of aching and itchy bumps. I had to get relief from the pain, but I couldn't touch my skin. It hurt when I did. Cold water, I thought. Cold water reduces swelling. I knew it was true for bruises, but would it work for hornet stings? I raced into the bathroom, turned on the shower, and flipped the knob to cold. Ice-cold cabin water streamed out, causing me to flinch. But then, relief. Was the cold water making the stings better, or just distracting me from the pain? I didn't know, and I didn't care. It was working. A few minutes later, the stings felt better. 
I, on the other hand, was now freezing cold. I inched the shower knob towards warm. It felt good, so I inched it a bit more. Steam filled the bathroom, and the remaining pain from the stings went away. I stood under the warm water, thinking about the ordeal. The only thing that made sense to me was that I'd hit a nest with one of the rocks. My vacation from school was starting off with a real education in what not to do in the wilderness. I figured my parents might be worried. I didn't even notice where they were when I ran for the shower. Maybe they've been knocking on the door, wondering what was going on. I turned off the water. I didn't hear knocking, but maybe they were waiting for me to respond. I'm okay, I announced. No response. Weird, I thought. Maybe they weren't concerned. Maybe they hadn't seen me come in. I stepped out of the shower and put my clothes on. I took my time to, partly because I didn't want to upset the stings, but mostly because I was scared to look at my face. How bumpy was it going to be? I looked at the mirror above the sink. It was fogged over, and that's not all. I wish it was. I wish there was nothing but a bumpy face looking back at me, but in the fog of the mirror. Words were streaked across the glass. Would you rather lose a friend forever, or be lost yourself for a year? Had Lila come into the bathroom and written on the mirror? Maybe, but I didn't think so. For one, the words were too high on the mirror. Also, it didn't seem like the kind of question Lila would ask. My parents? They weren't playing the game. Probably didn't even know about it. Also, there was something about the question. The words, the handwriting. It made me feel uneasy. I didn't bother answering the question. Or, at least, I didn't mean to. I didn't want to look at the writing anymore. I wanted it gone. Using a small hand towel, I began to wipe away the words. I'd only put one big streak around the words, lose a friend forever, when I heard a thud out in the main cabin room. I dropped the hand towel and opened the bathroom door. Everything okay? I asked. But there was no answer. I looked at Lila's bedroom door. It was open. Lila, I said while entering her room. Are you feeling better? Lila was gone. That sent chills down my spine. Not just because Lila wasn't in her room, but her bed was made and her travel backpack wasn't there either. In fact, the room looked perfectly in order. It looked like it did yesterday when we picked bedrooms. Hey guys, are you here? I yelled out, hoping to get some indication that I wasn't alone. Again, no response came. Lila, I said, you here? Nothing. Well, almost nothing. A few seconds later, I heard a terrible sound. The worst sound a school kid can hear. Fingernails scratching across a chalkboard. The dreadful noise gave me goosebumps and my hornet sting started to ache again. The sound was coming from the cabin's main room. I covered my ears and ran into the living area to investigate. I didn't see it at first, but when I spun around away from the cabin's front door, there it was, the welcome to Crestwood chalkboard. It had been erased, and now it was filled with something else. Tic-tac-toe grids. A dozen of them, maybe more. But there weren't X's and O's in the spaces. There were letters. Letters forming words. And those words sent a million pricks of fear through my body. In the squares of the tic-tac-toe grid it read, New Mona, or Old Mona. I swallowed hard, and then yelled out something like, Very funny. Haha, you got me. I was hoping it was a joke. Some kind of practical joke Lila and my parents were playing, but deep down, I knew it wasn't. Just then I heard another thump on the wall. I ran over to the window and looked outside. It was getting dark. It was hard to see. 
The setting sun glimmered on something. Lots of somethings, actually. Dozens. Maybe even hundreds of somethings. I opened the cabin door and walked onto the deck. Our car was still under the carport. That made me feel better. Better for about a half second, that is. Because when I turned my head toward the dirt yard, I saw something else. A hundred smooth rocks, all lined up. No, not lined up. Arranged. Amongst the pine needles and cones, someone had arranged hundreds of the art rocks in front of the cabin. It didn't take but a second for me to decipher what the rocks said. Stay with a lie, or leave with the truth. A heavy dread set in my stomach. It felt like embarrassment, but darker. Lie? How could it say that? Why did it say that? There's no way. No one could know. No one up here. No one for a hundred miles. My heart was pounding. My head was sweating. I think I was pacing in circles, but I don't remember. I stepped back into the cabin, shut the door, and locked it behind me. Are you guys in here? Mom, Dad. There was no answer. And in the quiet of the cabin, I heard a breeze outside. It rustled the trees growing into wind. Seconds later, it was a full-on gale force gust. Pine needles filled the air. They twirled around the cabin like snow. The cabin became like a ski town caught in a blizzard of pine needles. I screamed as loud as I could. Stop it! Just stop it! Then, like snow, the needles turned white. At least I thought they did. But then, I realized it wasn't the needles turning white. It was paper. Oversized pieces of paper were now swirling amongst the needles, and the windows became plastered with them. White pieces of paper, with something on the backside. The menus. The misprinted Crestwood menus. The windows became covered with them. And then, I noticed, some of the sheets weren't blank. They had words written on them. Big ones. Not a question this time. A statement. An imperative sentence for all you English class people. Tell them what you did, it said. Tell them what I did, I asked. What did I do? The wind howled outside, then picked up speed. The cabin creaked and let out new moans and old ones, too. The papers on the window rustled about. The words shifted but stayed the same. Tell them what you did. Fine! I yelled. I thought back to the attendance awards. I cheated. I'm a cheat. I stole the ticket. I stole Ezra's ticket. He dropped it when he jumped up, and I waited. I waited to see which ticket won, and I kept it for myself. The wind howled, and the paper shifted again. No, the new words said. Tell them what you did to me. I did, I yelled. I cheated. I lied. No, the paper said. I don't know what you want. I said, what did I do? The wind stopped. The paper shifted. There was silence. Then a simple sentence. You grew up. I barely had time to read the words. The front door of the cabin opened, and in an instant the papers blew away. My parents were standing in the doorway. Lila was in front of them. She looked okay. What are you yelling about? She asked. Are you okay? Asked my parents. I ran over and wrapped my arms around them, fighting to hold back tears. There's something I have to tell you, I said. Look, I messed up. I didn't win this trip. I took the winning ticket from some kid, some kid at school. We have to fix it. I have to fix it. My mom smiled and hugged me back. School's got you so stressed out, she said. Yeah said my dad. Good thing it's summer vacation. I'll tell you what, he continued. After I'm done with these meetings, we'll all go have pizza at the lodge. Can I have pizza too? asked Lila. My dad rustled her hair. You sure you're feeling hungry? 
I already told you, Lila said, hands on her hips. I'm fine. It was the queen who ate too many cheese puffs. Everyone laughed. I sighed with relief. I took a deep breath. Several of them. My dad gathered his meeting things and headed out. We'd come to Crestwood so my dad could sign the resort as a video client. Well, I hope he gets the job, I said to my mom. I think he will, she replied. Your dad's a professional, but he's got a kid's heart. People seem to like that, she smiled, and so did I. I went back to my room. I'd been trying so hard to be a good student. I was so focused on grades and attendance. I guess stress got the better of me. Then, as I was sitting on the pulled-out couch, a thought occurred to me. Was all of it stress? The awards ceremony? The hornets? What about Ezra? He was real, right? I opened my yearbook and searched for his picture. It wasn't there. Not in the class or club photos. I looked for his name under the not-pictured column, but it wasn't there either. Ezra had sat next to me at lunch, when I was alone, so I knew he was real. He'd talk to me when no one else would. He was... something like a friend. In fact, hadn't he signed my yearbook? Yes, of course he had. I turned to the back pages and found his signature. Above it, three simple words. Keep in touch. There was a number below the signature, and I probably don't have to tell you whose number it was. I called it, just to hear the voice on the other end. The answering machine picked up. It was Ezra. I hardly recognized the voice, even though I'd heard it every day. I guess I'd forgotten what it sounded like before my voice changed. It was the voice of a kid asking me to leave a message. What should I say, Mr. Erie? What should you say to a friend who's afraid you're growing up? Dear Mr. Benjamin Parker, or would you prefer I call you a friend of Ezra? Who would you rather be? The truth is, you are both. We are all both, on good days anyway, on days where there is work to be done and joy to be spun, a sacred relationship is formed between the you of yesterday and the you of not quite yet. And in the middle is the you of today, who shouldn't blame his fanciful creations for being scared. The Ezras of the world enjoy but a backseat view of the road ahead, so it's helpful to call your old friends from time to time. Let them know you are doing just fine and that you haven't forgot about the paper and the rocks. And in this way may you understand that Ezra and Izzy are not only real, but they are the keepers of all the most important parts of us. Be well, Benjamin Parker, and enjoy the eighth grade. Mr. Erie, Chief Uncover Near, Mr. Erie's Disturbing Detective Agency. And... While that concludes another message from Mr. Eerie's mystery series, it's not the end of our appointment. If you've enjoyed this message and would like to keep independent detective agencies like ours happy and haunt-free, please consider leaving a rating or review. Your support means the world to our agents. Please don't delay. Leave a rating or review today. Thank you for listening, and as always, we wish you an undisturbing day.